It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, June 1st, 2016, and you're listening to God and Comics, the show where we might say Hail Mary, but never Hail Hydra. On this week's show, X-Men Apocalypse, the latest blockbuster in the X-Men movie franchise, has all sorts of interesting religious questions at its core. We will explore some of these, including that most important question of all, who would win in a fight, Captain Picard or Mr. Tumnus? It's all... (laughs) It's all J-Lol and gospel on this week's episode, plus our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania, on the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And sitting here to my right is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, when you're not sitting in my office, where are you? I'm at Christ Episcopal Church in Cooperstown, New York. Wonderful. Good to see you guys. Well, Father Kyle, uh, what do you have to recommend for us this week? My recommendation this week is the DC Universe Rebirth special that uh, just came out last week. It's written by Jeff Johns and has a whole slew of good artists throughout it. I should preface before I give much more on the comic itself a little bit of the history of where things are in the DC Universe. DC has tended to have several times where they've rebooted their comic series, um, the first one being in 1964 with the flash and the introduction of the silver age and then again they rebooted in the mid to late 90s uh, when they collapsed the multiverse down into a one single universe and our most recent time of rebooting in dc's history has been the advent of the new 52 about four five years ago now this dc universe rebirth is not so much a reboot as it is, to quote Jeff Johns, a course correction. Um, Jeff Johns in several interviews has noted that he has felt that DC Comics have kind of lost something over the course of the last uh, five-plus years, and this is an attempt to recapture what DC Comics once had, which in his words are optimism and hope. He feels that with the advent of the New 52, some of the old familiar relationships that existed amongst the DC characters got buried in the attempt to start things afresh and disconnect from the past. And that has resulted in weaker characters and a storytelling that has been, been for the large part, disconnected from the history of the franchise. So DC Universe Rebirth is an attempt to correct that, to reintroduce the idea of continuity into the comics and to offer up again a sense of optimism and hope amongst the characters. The idea behind the comic is that for the last 10 years, which encompasses the time period of the New 52, there were five years that existed between the first appearance of Batman and Superman and then the five years of the New 52 itself, which is the 10 years. During that 10 years, the characters have been in a kind of darkness. They've not realized exactly who they are, and it's all been at the hand of one person or persons who have kind of kept them in that darkness in order to weaken them. And so 
Um, we get a little bit of a glimpse in this comic book as to who that person might be, although the reasons behind that happening um, are yet to be explained and will be fleshed out over the course of the next year or two in the rebirth titles that DC's offering. I will say it's a very, very intriguing person. If you've not read this before or read this yet, it is a very intriguing person who is behind all of this. And symbolically, it makes a ton of sense as to why the person who is the antagonist, not necessarily the villain, but the antagonist in the series is the antagonist. I'll give you a little bit of a teaser. There was a moment in comics history that sort of changed comics for the darker and the antagonist is linked to that event. So there's some interesting stuff that happens in this DC Universe Rebirth. There's some cool things that lay on the horizon. There's a big question about the identity of the Joker, and there's a teaser in the beginning of this as to who the Joker may be, and it's not anything that I would have expected. So it's I'm waiting with bated breath now for where this is going to go. There's also the reintroduction of the Justice Society of America, which who were done away with in the New 52. The whole comic itself centers around the reintroduction of a character who had departed. So I highly recommend this. Go out, get it, read it, enjoy it. We'll see. I'm very skeptical. I, I, I purchased, you know, it was only two ninety nine for the 80-page uh, book, which was, I thought, a good move on DC's part. So I did purchase it, but at the same time, I also canceled all of my DC subscriptions uh, uh, because I said, you know, I'm not going to just, I'm, I'm going to wait out and see what this ends up mm-hmm. looking like. And I'm a little annoyed that they think they're doing us a favor by dropping all these books to two ninety nine and then publishing them twice a month. Yeah, mm-hmm. that issue I can say that I'm a little bit troubled by too. The fact that they're twice a month, it's a nice thing to drop them to two ninety nine, but the twice a month thing is a little bit prohibitive in terms of the cost. But I do like, at the heart of this, because I'll say that I felt like the New 52, while very good, especially early on, while very good, something has been lacking. And when I when I read Jeff Johns saying that, I could put my finger on it. And what I feel like has been lacking is the heroes that I grew up with in the 80s, and the 70s, and the 80s, and the 90s. There's something missing that they had that the that the new 52 heroes didn't have. I'm excited to see where it's going to go, and I hope there's a sense of trying to recapture some of that spirit. I get enough darkness in my world these days. A little optimism and hope and a little more lightness in the superheroes might be a welcome change, at least for me. Well, they might want to send that message to the DC Cinematic Universe as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought that was ironic. And Jeff Johns has taken over the uh, being one of the leaders well, in the DC movie universe. Let's hope he brings a little optimism and hope to a bleak and perpetually yeah. rainy world. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So... Our conversation today is going to be about uh, the X-Men, particularly about this new film, X-Men Apocalypse, which just came out over the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, We've all had a chance to view the film, and I think it's fair to say that all of us are are longtime X-Men fans in terms of the the comic and the the characters in the comics. So what did you guys think? Let's start with, with Father Kyle. What did you think of the film? 
I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was a, a very good film. It was certainly less uh, story-driven to a certain extent and a little more action-driven than the prior film, Days of Future Past, um, you know, which was a well-constructed and weaved time travel tale. Um, this was a little bit more linear in its approach, but I thought the film did a very good job of summing up the first or these this series of three prequels that we've had now with First Class, Days of Future Past, and this, and drawing all the elements together. And I also thought it did a pretty good job of tying back into the original trilogy of X-Men, X2, and X3. I had fun watching the movie. I mean, I, I, I think it's it's worth watching. It was enjoyable. There was certainly some very cool superhero spectacle going on. But I, I thought the movie was pretty flawed. I, I feel that way about most of the X-Men movies. X-Men movies. They've been fun, uh, but, but flawed. I think some of the character uh, development in, in, in the movie sort of it just kind of stopped. They had this kind of great character development with with Magneto, and you know he's 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 uh, kind of undercover in Poland, and he has a family, and, and then it just stopped. And it was like, well, now it's time for action. I, I I was hopeful that they were going to develop the character of Storm a little bit more because she's a really kind of fascinating character, and it would be nice to see a superhero, a woman of color, developed more three-dimensionally. They, they kind of started with her, and it was, it was like, oh, the, this character's a bit more interesting. And then it stopped. <laughs> um, so, so if Magneto was a child in World War II, when his parents were taken to a concentration camp, this movie takes place, what, in 80... 83. 83? They were, they were very careful to make as many references to 1983 as they could possibly... Did you notice that? Yeah, it was like, yeah. now we're going to go watch Star Wars and drink some Pepsi with our leather jacket. You know, so it was I, like, okay, I thought we that get was it. Kinda we get cool. it. It's 83. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. It kind of puts it back in, like, kind of the the, like, the heyday of the great X-Men comic books. Mm -hmm. But yeah. wouldn't Magneto be older if mm -hmm. he was a child in the 40s? He, he, you know, so I'm thinking, I was kind of trying to do the math when I was watching the movie. He would be in his, like, 50s. He doesn't look like he's in his 50s. He looks right. like maybe he's, like, 38. You know, you might, you might push it. Maybe he looks good for his age and he's in his early 40s, but not his 50s. And, I, I, yeah, I, like, so there was little flaws like that. I mean, but, you know, you suspend your belief a little bit. I will say there was one hilarious little dig. So clearly X3 is the only one that Brian Singer didn't do. And Father Jonathan referenced the, uh, the trip to the movie theater to see Return of the mm -hmm. Jedi. And you'll notice when they came out of the theater, yeah. um, one of them <laughs> said The Empire Strikes Back was clearly the better movie because it had you know much more character development. Well, the same could be said of X2, right? That was clearly the best of the originals. And somebody then says, well, without the original one, you wouldn't have the others. Um, and then someone says... Uh, it was Jean Grey. Jean Grey said, well, as we all know, the third one in the series always stinks. Um, that was a little shot at X3, clearly. 
because Brian Singer has gone out of his way to try and correct the problems of X3. He did that mm-hmm. in Days of Future Past, and uh, I felt like that was a little posh chop, funny inside joke. Mm-hmm. It was funny, although I, I, I don't... I tend to think X3 gets uh, dumped on a little more than it probably deserves. I mean, it wasn't Shakespeare by any stretch, but neither were the first two films, quite frankly. Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> I've recently rewatched the first X-Men uh, movie, and I don't think I had seen it since it originally came out. And, and it was kind of boring. It, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, they've really upped their game with superhero movies quite oh, a yeah. bit since that time. And and it was just like, yeah, it was just ho-hum. I mean, it was... I remember it being surprising because it wasn't awful uh, when it came out. And it was like I was used to comic book movies being terrible. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I, I think this is definitely... You could see how they've grown it's yeah. in, in, the, in the filmmaking from from uh you know apocalypse to the first one i also thought it was interesting how they they've made mystique such a bigger character than yeah. she yes. has ever been i mean maybe it's because the biggest star in the movie plays mystique but she's like the main character of x-men now, yeah which is really yeah. interesting yeah. i noticed that too and i think i mean part of it probably is that she is the big movie star in the film I think, though, to give her credit, I think part of it is also that she is just very compelling um, in in the role. Um, I mean, you know, I can't imagine Rebecca Romaine would have ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, who played her in the original three, would have ever been able to, to hold attention. I, I mean, I, I think it's good that they allow the movies to do their own thing. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the religious themes in this movie. Usually when we talk about all of these things, we, we, we try not to impose religious stuff on it. It just tends to come up in conversation when you have three priests sitting around talking about this stuff. Uh, but with X-Men Apocalypse, it's kind of hard to avoid because they, they pretty much, it's as if they wrote religious themes on a baseball bat and just smacked us over the head with it. <laughs> Much more so than I think the movie actually ended up portraying. I think the trailer uh, made mm-hmm. it seem like it was going to be much more steeped in end-of-the-world stuff and this kind of thing uh, than mm-hmm. the movie actually ended up being. In the trailer, this is just more of a, a, an interesting side note, perhaps, but the trailer, he announced, Apocalypse announces who he is, and he's, you know, allegedly this one god that encompasses all the gods that exist in the world and so he runs the litany of of people and in the trailer he says that he's yahweh and um you know he's brahma and he's, he's krishna going. he's ra he's yahweh yeah right mm-hmm. he goes through the whole thing you may have noticed in the film he didn't actually say that when that scene came up he said elohim not he yahweh did say elohim i thought that was really interesting so for those who who don't uh know what's going on there and the difference so Yahweh and Elohim are both names for God that come up in the Old Testament and the scriptures that are shared by Jews and Christians. Yahweh is the name that God gives himself. And so it's the sacred name. And for particularly for Orthodox Jews, 
it's a name that you don't even utter uh, most of the time with your unclean lips. I mean, you, if you write the name of God on a piece of paper, you have to dispose of it in a completely different way than you would other pieces of paper. Like, that's how seriously they take it. Whereas Elohim is sort of a pseudonym that gets used to speak about God without having to actually use his, his name directly. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting that they flipped to that. I wondered if there hadn't been maybe Jewish groups that had been angry yeah. about it. Um, I know there were Hindu groups that were angry about the use of Krishna, which really? was kind of interesting, too. Sure. Well, yeah, well, of course, he's blue like Krishna. <laughs> right. that's, that's, where, that's where the blue skin comes from, I guess. But with Elohim, I mean, Elohim's used in the Bible not only to refer to God, but to refer to the gods, uh, the, the you know the gods of the nations. Um, it's in, in Hebrew. It's it's a plural term. It's it means plural, right? it it means you know gods, supernatural beings, uh, Elohim. Um, so that could be it, when he refers to himself as Elohim. He could just say you know I uh, be saying basically I'm the 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 source of all the ancient Near Eastern talk of 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 gods or God. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it makes it less specifically a claim uh-huh. to be the God of the Bible, which is much more inflammatory. But um, although clearly that is still the, ma- I mean, however you arrange the pieces here, mm-hmm. clearly part of the intention in this story is that this character thinks of himself as God. But not only does this character think of himself as God, but we're supposed to be at least partially led to believe that uh, all of the various mythologies of the world's religions are somehow tied up with the story Mm -hmm. of how mutants (laughs) came to be, which is not an unusual storyline, I think, in in the way Marvel's done some of these things before. Um, But it is striking to see it uh, on the big screen in that way. Uh, What what do you guys think about that? I, I think it's sort of telling... As to how people think of God. Apocalypse is just despotic, you know, ancient Middle Eastern tyrant who's, you know, kind of raised from the sands of the desert comes back to terrorize the modern world. Maybe it's a commentary on the religious strife that threatens to destroy the world. Uh, Maybe it's a commentary on radical Islam that this sort of a terrifying deity from the past has has returned and threatens the world with his fanaticism. Although they were very careful not to make any references to anything in Islam. In Islam, yes. You yeah, that. You he didn't yeah. claim Allah as a name. Right. No, 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 no. That's well, uh, yes. <laughs> and maybe well, the that Quran, was... it was, you know, it was fine to say that the Bible had been inspired by these events, right. but they would have never said the Quran, you know. Yeah, well, right. I mean... With with perhaps good reason. <laughs> he has some of the characteristics in a cartoonish way of the, of the God of the Bible. I mean, he's angry at the modern world for its consumerism, for its hubris, for its 
kind of irresponsible use of technology and war. I, I mean, so there, there's and it's idolatry, and he he, was... he calls them false gods. And the apocalypse, rather than something that we are to wait for and hope, it's sort of depicted as this awful event that needs to be stopped. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so sev- several things with that. First of all, interesting how one of the first things he does is to take all of the world's nuclear armaments and fling them off into space and then make a reference to the Tower of Babel. I don't know if you guys caught that, yes, but really yeah. there's there's a reference to Nimrod in there and this the story, you know, the arrows of, you know, he says something about the arrows being shot, which of course are being shot at God. But uh, in this case, uh, it's uh, it's God, quote unquote, you know, Apocalypse, the false God, who is uh, shooting off the arrows and they're they're being shot into space. Um, but and he sh- he shouts something about the Tower of Babel at that point, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which was interesting. I- I'd also just like to point out if we accomplish nothing else in the course of this podcast for our listeners who are maybe not as as steeped in some of the Christian stuff. Let me just say, for the record, that the word apocalypse means revelation. That's what it means. Something that has been revealed. Does not mean the end of the world. Does not mean Uh giant battle scene. Does not mean stuff being thrown from various corners of whatever and buildings collapsing and people... It doesn't have anything to do with any of that. It is just a word that means Revelation, which is why the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and notice that I am not pluralizing that word, friends. It's the book of Revelation, not Revelations. In the older translations, you'll see it's called either the Revelation to St. John the Divine or sometimes the Apocalypse of St. John the Divine. Which is its Greek title. Right, because that's what it is. It's a revelation of God uh, that's being given to him. Yes, Apocalypse means parting of the veil like kind right. of like a look behind the curtain so for instance in the book of revelation john is given a glimpse behind the veil to the throne room of god he sees the hidden heavenly reality and and, and the true lord of the yeah. world it's a revelation a divine appearance it's right. not a catastrophe right uh, yeah, so right. if if they really wanted to name this character appropriately, they should have called him Eschaton. That would have been a much better name for him. Right. <laughs> um, it would be kind of a cool name for what, him. Too. Yeah, it like would be, that. wouldn't Eschaton. it? Eschaton. And um, that means the last things, like the end of the world type things. Yes, the Eschaton. Word. And so there's there's actually a whole study of of theology that is called eschatology. And the first time I heard that word, I thought that's—I don't know what that is, but it sounds disgusting. But uh, it's no eschatology is the study of the last things, the study of end times, and all that kind of stuff. And there is, of course, stuff in the Bible and in Christian teaching and tradition about the idea of of end times and so forth. I, I wonder if either of you guys would want to comment a little bit on what it is. Obviously, I mean, you know, we don't have time to go into a, a deep, detailed discussion of eschatology, but but what is what is uh, similar or different about Christian teaching about end times, and what is presented in this um, in this movie, um, or in popular culture more generally? You know, in the movie, it's very clear that apocalypse, the the god apocalypse here, 
comes back with the idea that he's going to cleanse the world of all of its misdeeds and its false beliefs and um, and that he's going to write things, set things um, how they should be. Although, that said, the presentation that we get in the movie is that Apocalypse is not returning things necessarily back to what they originally were, but he's putting them into his own... What's the word I'm looking for? He's re, he's I, he's gonna he's gonna destroy everything and then make the world, make a new world in the image he would like it to be, yes. rather than I think what you're suggesting, which is that God is going to uh, restore and recreate the world that he already created. You know, that's exactly it, and that's that's the Christian perspective. Yes, is God going to cleanse? Scripture indicates that that there's a, a cleansing at the end of all that is bad and all that is evil, of all the hurts and the pains and the sorrows and sin and all of that stuff that has corrupted God's creation, but it's a restoration in the end to what things originally were, if not better Mm -hmm. um, than they originally were. And that's the picture that we get in the Apocalypse of John. We get a glimpse that, that the God who has saved us in Jesus Christ is the God who is it also at work behind the veil of human history, mm. working all things to that pointed end that he is going to recreate the world, regenerate the world. That's the word that Jesus uses in one of the synoptic gospels. Regenerate it back to what it was, if not better, back to the Edenic um, type of state, not just bring it back and make it into a whim of what he once there at that moment. I think in kind of popular thought about the end of the world, about eschatology, about the book of Revelation and what the Bible says about the last things, I think we often miss the forest for the trees. A lot of the popular presentations get very hung up on you know, the sort of arcane details, this this idea of the millennium. Will there be a millennium, and when will it happen? Will it happen after Jesus returns, or will it happen before Jesus returns? Or what about or is this? it now? Or is it now? Right. It, 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 and so the and there and um, people will argue fiercely about those things, and then they'll talk about this thing called the rapture. The rapture, which which is a rather modern idea. It's not particularly ancient. Uh, uh, reading of scripture but um, this is an idea that's rather captivated the modern world you could write me letters but you will not find the rapture in holy scripture it's not there um, amen, it, amen. It, it, it's just not I said um, that recently <laughs> in church. and um, but what is what is it really that we're waiting for not these sort of fantastic supernatural events but we're waiting for our Lord to appear, for the world to know that that Jesus is Lord, and that the the various tyrants and and false gods of this world are not. And that's what Revelation is really about. It's the revelation of the world's true Lord. And so it's a very hopeful thing. But I think in this film, in, in X Men Apocalypse, it's telling because. It shows people's anxiety 
about religion and, and, and about the God that religion presents. We're afraid that the God that will appear at the end of all things will be someone more like Apocalypse than Jesus yeah. Christ. But, of course, St. John in one of his other uh, writings in the New Testament says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so we await for the appearance of a merciful, kind judge, who uh, the, the judge that died to requite us from our, our, our sins and to rescue us. We don't need to be uh, terrified that, that God will appear as uh, apocalypse, a despotic you know, supervillain from the ancient past. No, we, we wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm going to challenge that interpretation just a little bit. I, I agree with, with you that we don't, um, we don't need to worry that God is going to be some kind of supervillain. But I, <laughs> <laughs> that, by the way, will be the pull quote, I think, for this episode. But I don't know that that's exactly what the fear is that generates this idea in the film. Because you'll notice, I actually think that this film... Um, despite the fact that it presents this kind of syncretistic view of religion and poo-poo's tradition and scripture a little bit, at the same time, it is not a grossly negative image of religion that it pictures. Mm. The, the thing that is pointed out to Apocalypse over and over again by the heroes of the film is that he is a false god, right? Professor X says this to him. Various other characters say this to him over and over again. No, you are not. You think you are God, but you are a false god. And one of the things mm. that I kept thinking after watching the film was, why was he a false god? Not just, you know, I mean, obviously I can look at him and go, okay, he's a false god, but why do the characters here who are the heroes in this story look at him and think that he is a false god? And I don't know that I have a completely adequate answer for that, but I think part of it has to be uh, a sense that whoever God is, he is not someone who is meant to 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 be a force of destruction. You know, one of the themes that they that they play with in this movie is strength versus weakness and mercy versus might. Professor X at one point in the film is being commandeered, forced by Apocalypse to speak a message to every person in the world on Apocalypse's behalf. And the message that Apocalypse wants to send is actually a very Darwinian message. It's uh -huh. the strongest will all, will mm. be the only ones who will survive this reign of terror that I'm going to. So if you are strong, uh, don't worry. I'm here for you. And Professor X modifies the message at the very end mm. um, and yes. says, so if you are strong, Professor X says, so if you are strong, watch out for those who are weak. Care yeah. for those who are weak. And so there he, that was great. I think right there he is presenting what the image of the true God looks like as opposed to the false God. And, you know, the thought that kept coming to, to me was Apocalypse is much more like the devil. Yes. Uh -huh. Or maybe even a, a figure of Antichrist, although that's a whole concept unto itself because Antichrist yeah. is not, um, you know, just one guy, not just one guy at the end of time. Antichrist is a, is a larger category. But, but the right. idea of him is the devil in the sense that, like, he is commanding worship. You know, God calls us to mm. worship, but God does not demand our worship. 
this, this character is demanding worship. Uh, God gives himself for us in Christ. This character does anything and everything he possibly can do not to give himself, right? I mean, he's killed countless people just so that he can continue to survive. And you combine that with all of the lies that he tells about his own origin, about what's going to happen to other people. He's able to give people certain things, right? Like some of these other characters, you know, they have their sense of their own power increased and so forth. But he's not actually, at the end of the day, looking out for them or for anybody else but himself. He mm. wants to be God. And so he's willing to do anything in that, in that pursuit. I think this is a picture of the devil. Yes. Yeah, he's absolutely egotistical and that was that was what I was the word I was trying to come up with before in some senses. He's egotistical rather than being the self-giving God that we know to be God through the scriptures. God gives of himself and um you know, he's the servant as Jesus himself testifies to being the servant of us and the devil's always egotistical seeking power for himself, seeking uh, a name for himself, and that's precisely who Apocalypse is here. Hmm. I thought it was also interesting in this film that they tried to deal with the issue of God being dead. You notice that um, at that scene where Magneto suffers great loss from with his family, that Magneto cries out in a prayer, then, what do you want from me? And later on, when he encounters Apocalypse and Apocalypse reveals himself as a god, Magneto says, where were you when they're at Auschwitz, right? And his answer was, well, I was asleep, more or less. Um, you know, I was, I was weighed down and I, he couldn't do anything, which in and of itself shows him to be a false god. He's buried under the power of something else, therefore he's not all-powerful and he can't truly be god himself. Hmm. Yes, and, and he, he longs for omnipresence, which is something he does not possess. So it's almost right. like this kind of God only has the power that we give to him. Right. You know, he is, he's an idol. He's a, he's a God of our own construction. We make him God, you know, in the false sense, by handing ourselves over to him, by giving him our allegiance, by giving him our worship, by giving him our power. Yeah, and you know, this is another way in which you could say this is the apocalypse is like the devil because he is lying to the people who follow him and he is giving them in a sense, trinkets, right? He's giving them a boost of energy and so so forth. He's doing a lot of stuff to convince them, but he's not actually forcing them, mm. right? He's not just taking over their minds. There's no hint that these, these characters who are working for him have no control over themselves whatsoever. Rather, they've fallen victim to his lie, you know, so this this also is in some ways reminiscent of the power of the devil, right? Like it would be easy. You know, there's that old Flip Wilson um, uh, stand-up uh, bit where he talks about the devil made me do it, right? Yeah. And it's a you know we blame everything on the devil made me do it. Well, aside from the phenomenon of possession, which is a pretty limited phenomenon, for the most part, the devil's power over you is not absolute. 
Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to minimize the effect of spiritual evil in the world. The devil is a very real force of, of evil, and the lies are very convincing. And we all fall prey to them at, at some point or another. But if he could just take us over and make us do whatever he wanted, I think he would. And I think that's true for the devil and it's true for Apocalypse. If he could just kind of go, okay, now go do it, he would. Mm -hmm. uh, but he can't uh, because he's not the one who made us. He is a creature just like we are. Yes, we have to give him a foothold. You know, or, or, or um, you know, the Bible says don't give the devil a foothold. Or, or, or you know, it, it, it's, it's through our idleness, through our, 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 our lack of vigilance that the devil builds a bird's nest in our hair. You know, or um, we, he has the power that we give to him. He uh, uh, is able to possess us only so long as we open the door. You know, there's that old kind of blues song, Don't Let the Devil Ride. Because if you let the devil ride, he's going to want to drive. <laughs> Don't let him ride. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think also uh, if, you, if you do listen to music, you know that really the only place that the devil spends his time is Georgia. So as long as you stay out of Georgia. Yes. Right? Um, or conversely, if you are an excellent fiddle player, you can go to Georgia. That's fine. You can hang out with him there. So the advice is stay out of Georgia and let Jesus take the wheel. Yes. <laughs> Apologies to our listeners in Georgia, um, especially those who are in the former Soviet nation of Georgia, because I'm sure you all are even more confused by what I've been saying. Um, but there we are. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, this has been a great discussion. There is so much more that, that could be said. And one of these days we'll have to do an episode just on the X-Men not looking at a movie, but just talking mm -hmm. about uh, them as a, as a uh, as a concept because they they are fascinating. Uh, that's going to do it for our conversation for now. But I do hope that those of you who are listening, tell us what you think of the movie. Tell us what you think of some of these other topics. You know, send us your uh, rants and ravings about uh, the end of the world. You know, whatever you like. We would be happy to receive those things through something that. The devil makes good use of from time to time, but that the servants of light also are able to make good use of, and that is social media. Uh, we are on Facebook, facebook.com slash God and Comics. We are also on Twitter. You can tweet at us. We are at God and Comics, and we hope to have more conversation with you there. But for now, we're going to move on to our final topic, our final segment, and that is... As always, this or that. This or that, this or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man, this or that. Spider-Man or Superman, this or that. Boxes or briefs, this or that. DVD or VHS, this or that. Dungeons or Dragons, this and that. Moses or Elijah, this or that. This or that, this or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Huh? Okay, gentlemen, are you ready? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. Let's see here. I'm going to give this first one to Father Matt. Father Matt, um, as, as you, I'm sure, know, the X-Men have 
spawned a lot of other books over the years. You know, much like the Avengers, there's been, you know, 37 different Avengers titles. There have been, you know, a bazillion different X-Men titles and even different teams and groups of mutants that have been in the X-Men orbit, if not always the X-Men. So I want to ask you about two of them right now, this or that, Excalibur or X-Factor. Well, you know, so the the X Factor, I think, is where Apocalypse first made his appearance. Yes. So that was a pretty cool book, but I'm going to say Excalibur because I think that it is is a fascinating title. It continued the story from Captain Britain, and Captain Britain is is one of my recent obsessions. I I think he's an awesome character with a fascinating story, and Psylocke, who makes. Uh, her appearance in in um, in X Men Apocalypse is actually the sister of Captain B- Britain, yes. Betsy, Betsy Braddock, and uh, it's it's a little differently handled in in this film. Um, she changes bodies at one point. It's a complicated story, but she always had purple hair. I, I would love to see Captain Britain make an appearance at some point in the X-Men films, but I won't hold my breath. <laughs> yes, it, it irritated me. I, I Some people got all up in arms about Olivia Munn and her performance. I don't I don't really care about that. She was fine for the you know three lines that they actually gave her. Right. But it irritated me that she wasn't British. It was like the one thing that they... <laughs> well, yeah. You know, yeah I'm well, fake an accent. Come on. Well, yeah, she kind of... They they made her more... Uh, is, is Olivia Munn uh, Asian or part Asian or... Yeah. Part, yeah. Well, that's fine. I mean, so is Psylocke. Psylocke, yeah, at least but, in her her body is But she part. still should have been British. Yeah, probably. I mean, they. It, she's just a different character altogether. I mean, the the, the character Psylocke later was sort of more just uh, some eye candy for the, you know, uh, adolescent boys who read X Men. Her <laughs> outfit is is one of the more ridiculous outfits in in the history is, of comic book. It is heroines. pretty pretty cheesecake. Yeah, is, but yeah. but she was awesome in Captain Britain and not. Um, nearly as sexualized, more of a uh, an interesting character, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I you know I remember too is Excalibur was like the first comic I ever bought that was like a dollar seventy five, like it was, you know, all the like other, an import. All the other books were like a dollar, <laughs> and then X Men Classic was like dollar twenty five, and I was like, oh, that's because it's so important. Um, and then Excalibur was like a buck seventy five, and I just remember thinking, "Wow, this is like so expensive." If I only knew what yeah, the, right. what they were going to cost now, anyhow. Uh, All right, Father Kyle, next one is for you. Smelling salts or a slap to the face? <laughs> well, I would probably have to go off the top of my head with smelling salts, although I've never had to have them used before. I imagine it has to hurt a little bit less than getting slapped in the face. I think it all depends on who's doing the slapping, don't you? Well, it does. But if you're trying to revive someone, it has to be a pretty uh, pretty strong slap. Mm-hmm. You don't see many smelling salts anymore. Have you noticed that? It's one of those things that I was sort yeah. of promised by um, by television when I was a kid there would be a lot more of. Um, you know, like That's true. Like quicksand and, you know, paintings with the eyes cut out so you can look through them from the other... Hall and all these things that just don't seem to exist in real life. 
And you notice everybody carried them. Back yeah, that's the right. <laughs> they well, all had them back back when when women wore more layers and they wore like you know tight girdles around their waist. They were always fainting, so you needed to have smelling uh, salts on on, on hand. Mm-hmm. People people uh, wore like velvet suits and 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 those collars. I mean, you look back in those Victorian times, it people must have been dropping like flies, really. Yeah. Massive dehydration. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm glad we figured that out. Yes. Father Matt's another uh, comic book related one for you. Killer Frost or Killer Croc? I'm gonna have to say Killer Croc. Killer Frost from is is one of the Flash's villains. Well, she's a Firestorm villain too. Firestorm villain. I'm not even really familiar with her. That's really her like big thing. Is she was she and her and Firestorm. Yeah. Oh, right. right. Don't you, did you remember in um, the um, the original Crisis that mm-hmm. something happens to her and she like falls in love with him and he's really freaked out by it? Yeah. Well, yeah. and then if you watch the Flash TV show, right, right. She, yeah. Um, um, yeah. What is it? Firestorm was her fiance, right? And, and her character is so annoying in the. <laughs> And the Flash TV show, it's just like... You I don't like Caitlyn Snow? Well, not when she's Killer Frost, oh, no. And oh. she has that awful blue lipstick, and it's like <laughs> she's really hamming it up. So, and, But Killer Croc was always pretty cool in, in, in Batman. And in Batman the Animated Series was one of the uh, villains that really shone uh, in, in, in that depiction as well. So I'm going to have to say Killer Croc. Okay. I always liked the uh, the original incarnation of Killer Croc a little bit better than some of the latter day ones. You know, the original guy was just a guy who had some scaly skin that was akin to reptile skin. Hmm. He um, he was a circus freak, but he wasn't a full blown crocodile man like he later became. Yeah. And um, he's flip flopped a lot. They when they came out of Batman Hush. You know, he was the full-on crocodile man. And the next series they did that, um, uh, who was it? I think it was Azzarello and Eduardo Riso did. He all of a sudden became a man and he was like a gangster. Yeah. So apparently he's got a condition where he flip-flops between normal man and human alligator crocodile. Happens, happens to the best of us. Yes, it does. Father Kyle, pool or beach? Ah, uh, the beach. Easily the beach. I, I I just love the being near the ocean, and there is something just wonderful about the sound of the ocean. And uh, you can't capture that in a pool, even though the pool can be enjoyable. Okay, Father Matt, uh, we are coming off of a weekend where we had a patriotic holiday, so I'll ask you: Purple Mountain's Majesty or Amber Waves of Grain? Oh uh, well, Purple Mountain's Majesty. Um, it, 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 I, 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 I'm gonna have to go with that because um, it, it sounds more um, hallucinogenic. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you know, um, that's like at at the base of the Purple Mountain's Majesty, you'll find the purple haze. Uh-huh. You know, so I'm gonna have to go with well, they purple, they, they did, purple mountains majesty. They did just recently uh, legalize medical marijuana here in uh, Pennsylvania. So, is that right in Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. 
maybe for, you can see some purple mountains majesty and you yeah. can drink a budweiser and then you would have your yellow waves of grain that's <laughs> yellow right. wa- I, it's amber I think. amber sorry <laughs> Uh, and yellow waves of grain <laughs> okay uh, uh, my patriotism has betrayed me that's here. true <laughs> fa- fa- Father Kyle you can make it up with this one This now each of these refers not just to the original but to uh, the entire series of films that followed Police Academy or Weekend at Bernie's Police Academy I uh, I enjoyed Weekend at Bernie's. I don't think I've actually seen more than the first Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Neither has wow. anyone else. Uh, you don't really need to. <laughs> it's basically the same. It, well, by by uh, Weekend at Bernie's six, he actually started to decompose. Is there really <laughs> a six? No, I don't think. So. I thought I thought were there there were only like three of them, weren't there? Yeah, maybe, I thought maybe. there were like three. I, there there were yeah. like six police academy films. There was. Yeah, there might be yeah. more than that. And you know, it's funny because when um, when we first got our VCR in 1987, we some of the first movies we rented were the police academy movies. Mm-hmm. I love those things, especially the guy who does the uh, sound effects. Yeah, Michael Winslow. Can't beat him. Yeah. Yes. Father Matt, urinal or stall? Oh, um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to say stall because I have a uh, I have a shy bladder, and so <laughs> I need I need privacy. It's good to have that sort of like I, I I hate when I'm in the bathroom and someone comes in and starts like trying to talk to me, which usually happens before the service and on, on Sunday morning. And it's just like, well, now I'm never going to be able to go. So I like this stall. <laughs> a shy bladder. That's great. You're, you're not alone, Father Matt. I ju- I'm in your shy bladder club as well. We have a support group. It's That's a- right. I feel like it's only, if you're at a, in a urinal situation, it is only okay to talk to the person with you if there are partitions between the urinals. <laughs> yes, even then it's a little bit of a challenge. It's a little weird, but... But it's Although I'll, I'll tell you the worst circumstance that you could possibly be in with regard to this. At the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, the hockey team's uh, stadium, they have a trough. Oh, oh no, yeah. I can't oh, do those it. Those are partitions. Yeah. That's like the worst. I remember a couple of times um, when I was younger going into one of these like theme restaurants like... Um, uh, TGI Fridays or places like that and I would go in and in the urinals they would have the little like urinal cake that they have there and then they would have a little like rubber stopper thing with holes in it I've never quite understood what that thing does but right. it would say on it up at the top say no to drugs <laughs> and I always remember thinking what exactly is the message being sent by having me pee on the words say no to drugs <laughs> But anyway, I digress. Father Kyle, this one is for you. We are recording this on a Marian feast day, the Feast of the Visitation. And so my question for you is, Blessed Virgin Mary, Great Saint, or Greatest Saint? That's a tough, tough way to answer. I'll say Great Saint. I know you'll disagree with me. I'll Mm. say Great Saint. That is incorrect. she pushes the edge of greatest, given that she is the mother of our Lord, right? The mother of God. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so we can say that she's right at the edge there, but she is certainly right. a great saint. Protestantism doesn't do Mary enough justice, I will say that, but mm. I'll go with great saint, despite the fact that I know you disagree with me. Hail Holy Queen, the Queen of Heaven. Well, who would, who would be the greatest? <laughs> no, that's a good question. So who would Mary. you say that is the greatest if not Mary? I would probably say St. Paul, but, you okay. know. I was waiting for you to say Martin Luther. No. <laughs> Luther ranks very close, but I would, I would probably say St. Paul. St. Paul? Mm. Interesting. Okay, Father Matt. Invasion by alien ninja vampires or a 57 Chevy? Well, the the choice is clear here. The 57 Chevy is obviously preferable to being um, slashed by alien swords and, and having your blood lapped up by ninjas, uh, vampire ninjas. Well, you assume that they're not friendly alien ninja vampires. Yes. Well, only if the alien ninja vampires are, are, are coming for... Um, um, people that i don't like <laughs> that's a very christian sentiment of you well probably. it's uh you know it's it's it, i think that's an image from the apocalypse isn't it sure um, and they have I, I think it's the fifth seal yes mm-hmm. uh-huh yay and though the the alien ninja vampire shalt smite thy uh fated enemy uh thou shalt be kept in um in in security that thou might pee in comfort without <laughs> worrying about thy shy bladder yes amen yes yeah indeed indeed it's it, you know it reads better in the greek well as yeah. long as i'm raptured before the ninja vampires <laughs> arrive absolutely absolutely okay last one is for you father kyle the ability to eat anything, and I mean anything, not just any food item, but anything at all, or the ability to speak any language. I would probably say the ability to speak any language. Although, golly, that's a... Yeah, I'm going to go with ability to speak any language. Really? Is that a hard one? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I can eat anything that I want, then, I mean, that means anything, of course, but there's some stuff I don't have to eat, right? Sure. Um, oh, oh, meaning, and, like, without it doing you harm. Right, exactly. Yeah, okay. Right. I was so, thinking like, of... I wouldn't have to worry about this darn cholesterol anymore. I could just go and... Mm-hmm. and but would you food. want to eat, like, a 57 Chevy? Like Who wouldn't want to eat a 57 Chevy? Yeah. There's, there's actually a character from the Legion of Superheroes. That's what made me think of this. Who could eat anything? Yes. That's an amazing power, but... Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this or that, which means that's going to do it for our show this time around. The entire show can be listened to on our website, godandcomics.com, and you should definitely go and check that out because every time we put a show up, in addition to putting the show up and allowing you to download it there, we also put up links to some of the rad stuff that we talked about. So uh, be sure to go over there, godandcomics.com. You can also check the show out through iTunes, and while you're on iTunes subscribing to the program we would love it if you would give us a rating or a review it it helps other people define what we're doing here 
our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to furiously right now, is by the one, the only, the inimitable Father Paul Wheatley. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. We'll see you.